Thank you for gathering with us uh, as we celebrate man, our Savior King that, that uh, while uh, He died, He rose again. And so, man, that we have much to celebrate. And so as we settle in, you can go ahead and uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to continue in our time of worship. Uh, you can open them to Matthew chapter 28, where today, uh, in light of the empty tomb, uh, we're going to take some time to both behold the resurrection story, while also looking at the command that's given to every follower of Jesus in light of Christ's victory. Right, I, I heard someone say one time that, that man, uh, when we think about the good news of the gospel, uh, one thing we need to realize is that man, when God transforms our hearts by His grace, what He does in us, He wants to do through us, right? And so the transformation that takes place here that, that makes us uh, alive because we were once dead for the follower of Jesus, God then calls us out and commands us out so that we might proclaim life to a broken world. And so as we do that, as we, uh, man, just kind of enter into this time to behold the resurrection, but also look at the command that's been given to every disciple of Christ, I, I want to give this reminder up front. We've kind of already talked about it a couple of times this morning. Uh, and, and the reminder I want to give is this. While we have been given this day, Easter Sunday, as a reminder and celebration, this is a day that is bigger than just today. This is a day that is bigger than just today because it is a reality that we remember and celebrate each and every day. Because guess what, man? The, the empty tomb changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. I mean, if you think about this for a moment, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, which I believe that it is, it changes not only how we view the past, no, not only how we view the future, which is commonly the only two areas when we think about the gospel. We think, okay, uh, God saved me from my past sins. And one day, uh, if I have my ticket to heaven, he's gonna, uh, I'm going to be able to enter into heaven, right? So it's a future reality and a past reality. But when we do that, we shortchange the gospel. Because he's the gospel in its fullness is, is a past. It is a right now reality and man, it is a, man, a future reality, right? That, that, uh, man, he has saved us from our sins. We are daily in need of the gospel. And one day he will save us from the very presence of sin. The truth is that, man, we come together to, to celebrate today changes the way that we are to view Life, but also it changes the way that we are to live in each and every moment of our lives. You see, the resurrection of Jesus gives us the faith and assurance that while sin leads to death, through Christ and Christ alone there is life. Because He is the only one who defeated the grave. Well, what this also means is that today, no matter how you walked into this room, no matter what circumstance you are facing, the resurrection is a source of hope and a reminder that we can trust that it is not only finished, but that the tomb is empty. I heard a story this week in talking about just how the, the, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope no matter our circumstance. And I, I mean, it just blew me away. And so I want to just begin by sharing that story. So uh, years and years ago, 
An atheist in the Communist Party stood before this huge crowd in the Soviet Union. And when he got before this huge crowd, man, he began to just rant and rave and spew hatred regarding Christianity. You see, he mocked the Christian faith, claiming that it was nothing but a fantasy and that the teachings of Marx and Lenin were the true path to see humanity's future meet its appointed purpose. Following the scorn-filled speech, this man sets down and an Orthodox priest stands up and says, can I say two words to the crowd? And so they allow it and he stands before the crowd and presents two words that in English uh, come out as a three-word phrase. And this is what he said. Christ is risen. To which the entire crowd roared back with the response that had stuck with them through childhood. He is risen indeed. A crowd that has, man, just been fed propaganda that is, man, in in circumstances that look very bleak, that has just had a man that comes up and says, there is no God. What man has put in place is actually what is going to get us where we need to go. And then one man walks up and in two words, Christ is risen. They respond back with, He is risen indeed. And so today for us, no matter what the circumstance, we worship because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, amen? No matter what's going on, we have hope because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, which begs the question, what is our response of worship to look like? Not not just today, but each and every day. Well, I believe Matthew 28 gives us a wonderful picture of how we're to respond. And so let's jump in by looking at Matthew 28. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 10. It says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, where you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Okay, so following the events of the cross that had taken place on Friday, and then following their observance of a mournful Sabbath Saturday, we find that toward the dawn of the first day of the week, and man, I just love just the way it's described there, because if this isn't just any normal dawn, this is the dawn of a new day. 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary head out to see the tomb. You see, their goal uh, was not just to go and look at the tomb. Their goal, because of what had happened on Friday, was to prepare Jesus' body following His death. But man, things have changed once they arrive. Because you see, at some point, an angel of the Lord came down with an appearance like lightning, scared the guards until they trembled and wet themselves and became like dead men. A little bit of emphasis added there. And they rolled back the stone and sat upon it, this stone that had sealed the tomb. And so the women arrive, and upon seeing all this, they are also filled with fear. And yet, look at what happens. The angel goes to him and he says, hey, fear not. He says, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but He's not there. And then He says something that's just so amazing. He says, because He has risen, just like He said. Just like He said. You know, as we hear all this, man, I want us to realize as we hear this story of the resurrection, as we hear uh, this story of Jesus, you know, uh, coming out of the tomb, coming out of the grave, stone is rolled away. And I want to note that Jesus didn't need the angel to roll the stone away, right? We see later in another gospel that, Jesus, that the, the disciples are just in a room because they're scared and the door's locked and, and Jesus just shows up. He didn't gnaw, like he just shows up. You see, man, we need to realize, and man, I think really who the reality is this, that for all who don't believe, that, that when you read stories like this, even us at times, like we can, can struggle to comprehend because guess what? I don't know how many of you have been dead and raised yourself to life. Like, how can that happen? But many people, when they read this, they have problems and issues with this story. So I think a question we need to wrestle with is, did Jesus really die? And further, if He did, did He really resurrect from the dead? And if He did, and again, I believe that He did, how are we to respond to that? And our response, like I, I think that, man, we, we kind of limit the scope of that response. You see, for many, and there, there are a lot of reasons I could give you uh, for why people don't believe Jesus didn't really resurrect. Some say that it wasn't Him on the cross. So some say that Jesus just got hurt really badly, but He didn't really die. Although Scripture would tell us differently. But man, in this instance, you know, when we see it throughout the Gospel, they, they believe that somebody's taken Jesus. And if you look at the next section of verses in Matthew 28, that's actually what they paid the guards off with. And they said, hey, we're going to give you money. You say He was stolen, okay? We can't find Him. You just say he was stolen. Let's, let, let that be the story. You see, the reality of that could have been seen as legitimate because grave robbing was a common occurrence during this time period. But man, the greater truth is this. The greater truth is a robbery had taken place. Jesus, the resurrected King, had robbed the grave. And so we stand upon the truth of Scripture alongside these two women and heed the words of the angel that proclaim Christ is risen. But then look at what follows. He, he says, no, don't just believe. Like, go, look for yourself. See that He's not there. And then what? Then He says, go quickly and tell the other disciples what you see and head to Galilee and Jesus is going to meet you there. 
You see, the call to go is wrapped up in the story of the resurrection due to the fact that it literally changed the course of redemptive history. And guess what? That's worth sharing. That is worth celebrating. Something we say all the time, if you're a follower of Jesus, we should be the most celebratory people on the planet because we have the most to celebrate. Like, and just think about, like, how many of you in the room, like, you just, you like celebrating, right? It's okay, like, this is, I'm not even asking you to talk. Like, just, we all like to celebrate, right? Like, how many of you, you like your birthday, okay? Like, for me, for the longest time, it was a birthday month, okay? Like, but now I got married, my wife has the same birthday month as me, and then my niece has the same birthday, so I'm having to, like, give it away a little bit, and I don't really like that. Like, just think about, like, the way we celebrate, like, we celebrate things in life. Specifically for the follower of Jesus, we celebrate resurrected life. And man, it should be something we can't help but celebrate. But just generically, let's talk about birthdays again. Like there's a lot of kids in the room today. And something I've watched as a parent is this. Uh, Man, your kids started planning their next birthday on the afternoon of their current birthday. And they will continue to plan their own birthdays while they're at other kids' birthdays. In the hopes that they might build the most celebratory birthday, right? Like, it's almost like they're just, it's like, I'm going to take some of that and add that to my birthday. So I'm going to have a robot ninja, like, monster bounce house uh, arcade party. And that's going to be my party this year, right? And can you do that, mom and dad? And we're just like, no, pick one, right? (laughs) We celebrate seasons, right? We celebrate marriage. We celebrate baptism. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. Like yesterday, my family, we got a dog. And man, I was jazzed all day. Like Haley walked out of the room and I already had one cup of coffee and I was just singing. I was like, we're getting a dog today. She was like, give me a moment. But I was pumped. Like, and, and man, when we, like our kids didn't know and so we show them this dog and, and they freak out. But I'm like, y'all don't freak out as much as me. Uh, it's my dog. It's, it's your dog too, but it's my dog. We celebrate. And yet the most celebratory event that stands at the center of every believer's life is that upon the cross our debt was paid. And at the empty tomb, the victory was won for us over sin, death, and the grave. And that was displayed. He made a mockery of death. He made a mockery of Satan. And it's worth celebrating. And so these women head out. It says that they head out in fear and great joy. That, that word for fear there is the same word that you see in Mark when Jesus calms the storm. It says the disciples greatly fear. And what that means is they're looking at it like, well, he, he can control the wind and the waves, so we can't control him. So we're scared of that. He, we're not like him. But also they have great joy. What we see in the text is that as they're traveling, Jesus meets them along the way and look at how they respond. It's not doubt. It's not questioning, but in faith they worship. You see, this act of fear, joy, and obedience in going leads them to the very presence of Christ that draws them to worship. You see, He is worthy of all things to be what? Not to be pondered. Although we should think as we read Scripture, not to be high five, not to be kept to yourself or on a shelf as just another story that you know about. No, He is to be worshipped. He's worthy to be worshipped. 
But I'll take it a step further. Scripture says one day he will be worshipped. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And as we think about that, like what's your response today? Now it's easy to amp yourself up on April 17th, Easter Sunday. It's not always April 17th, but today, yes. It's easy to be like, okay, okay, I got to get like, got to worship, got to hold my hands up a certain number of times, got to get in here, got to look, we got to take pictures, we got like, it's easy to do that. But man, what's your worship look like on a daily basis? And I think if we're honest, man, there are many times that we give them, we give so little of ourselves in worship. We give him a day a week, or maybe again for some, man, you give him this day as your one day. He's worthy of so much more. We are to live lives of worship. And so what does that look like? Well, what does this type of worship look like? Well, worship leads them again to go. Which is really going to be a theme in this commanded response that we're going to get in verses 16 through 20. So let's look at that now. Beginning in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Alright, so following Jesus' initial interaction with Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the disciples are told the news and they go to Galilee to the mountain that Jesus had directed them. And once they're there, it says what they saw Him, that they worshipped Him. But, and I love this, even at the sight of Jesus, some struggled with doubt. They're struggling. It's this double mind. Like how, again, how could this be? He was dead. Dead people don't come back to life. There's this hesitation. They believe, but again, they struggle with what? They need help with their unbelief. And yet what we find in their worship is that Jesus commissions them to live lives of worship that proclaim His life, death, and resurrection. Matthew 28, 18-20 is also known as the Great Commission text. And it's the focal point of what our lives of responsive worship are to look like in the everyday stuff of life. You see, what we find is that our commissioning is really sandwiched between two truths about who Jesus is and what He has done. And because it's sandwiched in between, what we realize is that because of who He is and what He's done, that is actually what empowers us to then go out and be commissioned to do what we're called to do. Don't get that backwards. Don't think, okay, if I go do all this stuff, then I'll actually Jesus will say, okay, now my blood is good enough for you. That's not the Gospel. That is not the Gospel. The Gospel says, no, Jesus laid down His life and He is the one that gives us life. And when we realize that, that we could do nothing on our own to save ourselves, and yet in His grace and His mercy, because of His love, we are given life. And that then empowers us to do. So what I want to do with the rest of our time today, really as we read verses 18 through or these verses, we saw uh, 
these four all statements that are found in our commissioning. And I want to begin with the first and the third. And, and then uh, we're going we're, we're gonna, to uh, just kind of dig into what that means for our lives. So our first area of commissioning is found in the truth that Christ has all authority. At the beginning of verse 18, Jesus says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. You see, that's so key for us as we think about, man, what it means for us to live lives of worship in light of the Gospel. Because if Jesus does not possess all authority, we're either doomed or we're left in fear that Satan might win. Or that that He might win in some areas and Jesus is going to take other areas. But you see, what we see through Scripture is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has all authority. We, we see, if you read the Gospels, He has authority over nature, right? Like He calms the storms. He, he has authority uh, over a sickness, like He heals. He has authority over sin. He has authority over death. And in His resurrection, we see He has authority over the grave. You see, we don't have to stand on a halfway hope that maybe He'll have all authority. No, we stand on the truth that He does definitively hold all authority in heaven and on earth. One writer says that there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. In Christ's authority, we not only have hope, but in light of His victory, we are empowered to live lives that boldly proclaim the resurrection in word and deed. You see, to be a disciple that lives out what we've been commissioned to do, you must rest in the authority of Jesus and not in your own authority to know enough, be enough, and or do enough. You will fail every time. And so we see first that Jesus has all authority. Now let's look at the end of the Great Commission where we see that in Christ, we are secure in His presence for all eternity. The end of verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, which that word for behold is see or have assurance or this can be trusted. Listen to me. He says, I am with you. That's both singular and plural, right? He is with me, but man, he's talking to the disciples and he's talking to the church. I will be with you. But how long is he guaranteed to be with us? Uh, Just up until we mess up? No. He says, I'll be with you. And there's another all statement. I'll be with you always. Which means at every moment, at every time, I will be with you. Even in our doubting, even in the circumstances of life, even in our insecurity, even you fill in the blank. He will be with us always. And if He is with us always and He has all authority, we should be the most bold people on the planet. For whom or what should we fear? Nothing, because Christ holds all authority and He's always with us. Don't miss this today. Allow it to change the way you view your life. Allow these truths to cast out whatever fear you walked in here wrestling with today. Christ is risen. 
He's risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And He rose in all authority. And He will be with us always. Therefore, so we get the sandwich statements and then we get the middle. We're like, hey, this, this is what you're empowered to do now. Verses 19 and 20, we get our commissioning that is to be our response, the response of our worship for the rest of our lives. We get these last all statements. It's Jesus, it, it, go, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that He's commanded us. So what does responsive worship look like to Jesus' always present, all authoritative commissioning? Well, the command here, and if you look at the passage, the command in English gives us four verbs. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. But if you look at it in the original language, it's only one. And the one is this. Make disciples. That's it. Make disciples. As disciples of Jesus, we are commanded and commissioned to live lives of worship that make disciples, not converts, not moralistic men, women, and children, not necessarily conservative, attenders, consumers. We are to make what? Disciples. You see, all the other verbs that we find here are participles that connect to the call to make disciples, which means that when you look at it, they carry the same weight as the commanded action. They actually build out our call to make disciples. And so this means that making disciples is central to the Great Commission, while, man, uh, everything else is an extension and a result of disciple making. And if it's central to the Great Commission, it is to be, it has to be central to the life and function of the church. We are to be disciples who make disciples. And so how do we do that? Well, look at the command in 19 and 20. I actually, uh, if you want some, just some quick homework, go home and read the account of Genesis where uh, the, God gives the creation mandate to Adam and Eve. He tells them to be fruitful, multiply, to, to fill the earth with His glory, like with image bearers, right? That, that display the glory of God. What we're getting here in Jesus' commissioning is a renewal of the creation mandate in Genesis. Because it's not like God said, well, Adam and Eve failed. We're going to try it differently after Jesus resurrects. He says, no, uh, we're going to fulfill the plan that I set out in Genesis. And so the first thing he says, the first word we get is go, which, man, that's very straightforward. And an easy step is we're to go. And I don't, I don't simply mean go to church. <laughs> go to church. But at the end of the day, we are the church. Gather with people, celebrate and worship, live life in community. But man, if we were to make disciples, guess what? There's an outward focus on that. And it requires us to go. Which again, I don't know if you've heard it recently, but whenever we, send, we, we get done in here after the benediction, we say, alright, you're now sent into your mission field. Go! We're to go out and live lives to proclaim the good news and word and deed to the world around us. 
So that means you go home and you proclaim the gospel. You go to work and you proclaim the gospel. You go to your neighbors and you proclaim the gospel. To the grocery store, wherever. We should live lives that demand a gospel response. But for them to demand a gospel response, we have to be proclaiming what? The gospel. Are we? Or are we, what are we proclaiming? So we're called to go. Next, we see just at what everything revolves around, we're called to make disciples. So we are to multiply and make, which indicates a process. Because while salvation saves us, it leads to sanctification or this process of discipleship where we, man, grow more and more into image bearers like Jesus. We are to look more and more like Christ. But who are we to go to? Well, look at the next thought. We are to go to all nations. To all peoples. Again, it's that creation mandate. The word for nation there is, is ethnicity. It's where we get our word for ethnicity. We are to go to every tribe, tongue, and ethnicity. Proclaiming the good news of the Gospel. Well, as we go and make disciples of all nations... It says that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism, what we believe about baptism, it is a symbolic act that proclaims new identity in Christ. Something we say here when we baptize, it is an outward display of an inward transformation. Now, a couple of things here. Baptism does not save you, but baptism is a command. We are commanded in response to the gospel to what? To be baptized. And we believe that you are to be immersed because, again, it is a symbol or a picture of, man, I was buried in my trespasses and sin, but now I'm raised to walk in newness of life. In Christ, I'm raised to walk as a new person. I have a new identity. And so, as we hear that, what should our response be? Well, your first response, if it's a command, is to be baptized. So today, like if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, man, I've given my life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized. Come talk to me. Come talk to Jeremy. Like, we, you, like get baptized. Let's talk about what it means. But maybe for some of you, and I know, this was, I know people in the room that this is true for them, maybe you got baptized because you, your parents told you if you get baptized, you get to pick lunch for the day. So that's what you did. Or all your friends were doing it. Or people were just scaring you. And you were just like, yep, don't want, you know, don't want fire and brimstone, which is, yeah, we shouldn't. But you were just kind of coerced into it. And you were like, yeah, get me dunked. Boom, I'm good to go. But now you understand, oh, this is what it really means. And so maybe today for you, like, you're like, man, I didn't know what it meant back then. And it's okay for you to come forward and say, hey, I know what it means now. And I want, I know what it symbolizes. And I want, man, I want to walk in that kind of obedience. Before it was just routine. It was just tradition. And so we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then, it says, you're to teach them all that has been commanded. If we are to be disciples of Jesus, we must be discipled by the Word. But we are not simply just to receive the Word of God. We are to make disciples that make disciples. And we are to teach them the Word of God. And so guess what? To do that, you must know the Word of God. And to know the Word of God, you must be hungry for the Word. Because guess what? If you're not hungry for the Word, man, the world around us is going to make you hungry for something else. 
And man, you can just gorge yourself on it. But your you stomach just hurts, right? It's not enough. You never feel full. You've got to be hungry for it. And man, if you know this, man, if you're going to be hungry for it, you're going to have to make time for it. And then you're going to have to be a student of it. This is not, hey, I graduated from VBS in the sixth grade. All that, that's all the Bible I know and that's all I'll ever need to know. Be a student of the Word. Read it. Pour over it. Don't Google about it. Okay? Don't Google search it. Pour over it. Ask questions. Be a part. Read it with other believers. Get around others. Two ways you can do that. Get in a missional community. We're going to have time where we talk about, man, what the gospel, what, what's going on in our hearts, what's God's word saying. But if you want to, man, it's a grow, like we, we do equip here for our men and women. We sit down and we say, hey, this is what we're reading in the word. And so, in light of Christ's victory that produces in every disciple of Jesus worship, how are we then to respond? Well, we respond to this all-empowering authority and His all-encompassing presence by making disciples of all nations. And so today, as we come together to rejoice in the victory of a risen Savior, may we do so with hearts and postures that are ready and willing to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them His Word. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up, but I just want us to take a moment to respond. As you think about this today, if you're thinking, well, how do I respond? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what make disciples. Make disciples. If you need to know what that looks like, go to someone that you know is a follower of Jesus. Say, hey, will you, you know, come to me, go to Jeremy, go to your MC and say, hey, I want to grow in what it means to make disciples. Can you help me with that? Submit to the authority of Christ. Trust in His presence and then go. Maybe today like you need to respond by saying, hey, I need to get baptized. Maybe you need to be taught. You see, the first step in all of this is to submit your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Today, maybe as you hear all this, you're like, hey, I think that's really neat. Ah, man, the, the resurrection sounds really good. I've heard about it, but I don't know. Like I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never submitted to His authority. I'm running on my own authority. You cannot make disciples if you're not first a disciple. You see, your sin separates you from that happening. It separates you from God. And guess what? Your work is not enough and it will never be enough. And so today, if that's you, I encourage you. I implore you to look to the cross where Jesus stood in your place. To, to, to sit in the reality of the weight of your sin that, that, that was placed upon Him. And then as you, you see that man, He died, but then as you look at that, also behold the empty tomb. Today, I, I encourage you to repent of your sins and turn to Him. And again, if you need to know what that looks like, I'm going to be up here on this side. Jeremy will be over here. You can come talk to us. And so I want to encourage you to respond in light of what we've been called to. What is God calling us into as His people? 
And then again, if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you as we do every week to come and share in communion. This might take a little extra time this week. But we want to invite you to come and be reminded of what Jesus has done. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't given your heart and life to Jesus or you're wrestling with it, then we'd ask that you not partake. Instead, come. Again, I I ask again, come and talk to us. Ask questions. You can come and you can grab uh, the, the bread that represents Christ's body that was broken. You can either grab a cup or dip in the cup which represents His blood. They're both juice, so don't... Don't get confused. Uh, and, and man, it represents the blood that was spilt on our behalf. But even as we do this in remembrance, we remember that He's called us to something more. That what He's done in us and for us, He wants to, man, God, to, He wants to use us to proclaim the gospel. And so even as we share in communion, we say, God, I want to communion in that way of making disciples. May my life be marked by disciple making. As I give you glory and worship your name. And so I want to invite you to that. Brett's going to give us just a few minutes. You can come and share in communion uh, as you're ready. And then we're going to sing and worship. We're going to continue to celebrate. So God, I pray now as we enter into this time, God, that, that we would, Lord, that even as we think about the resurrection, that it would draw us to realize, like God, that you are greater than us. Also, we would be drawn to great joy because because You were greater than us. Because You did what we could not. You rose so that we might have life. God, that we would have great joy. God, I pray that we would become a disciple-making culture. A people that, that seek to make disciples. That are immersed in our new identities. That that uh, are learning and are teaching the Word of God. That we would be go, people that go out and proclaim. We don't just come in and, and get and just uh, hear a word, but that we would leave and proclaim Your truth. Pray for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen.